Amen. Hey, let's read a few verses, and then we'll get into the text of the study. Look at verse 28. This is where we left off last week. As Jephthah, the eighth judge of Israel, was interceding or talking to Ammon, the king of Ammon, the bad guy, and he was negotiating with him, trying to have a diplomatic approach to the leadership of the children of Israel in the promised land. It wasn't going good. Listen, because the Ammonites were rejecting God's word. Don't raise your hands, but have you ever rejected God's word? Have you ever avoided God's word? Have you ever not heeded God's word? Have you ever ignored God's word? If you do all these things, it's not going to go well for you. Instead, we want to be people that heed God's word, that receive God's word, that love God's word. Remember that old saying we've been saying for a while here? God said it. I believe it. That settles it. It's that simple. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't understand everything in this book. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of stuff in here I don't understand. But I have chosen to believe it all. I just believe it because God said it and I believe it and that settles it. And God knows what he's saying. Even if I in my little pea brain mind don't know what he's saying, he didn't ask me to proofread it or to edit it for him. Instead, God says, Luke, don't edit my word. Let my word edit you. Let my word proof you. The Bible says of itself that it's a mirror that reflects who we are and shows us what's going on. And we ought not to fix the mirror so it shows us what we want, but we ought to fix what we see of ourselves and say, well, according to this book, I'm doing it wrong. According to this book, I need to adjust. According to this book, there is a God and I'm not him. That's theology 101. If you want to be a theologian, there is a God and you're not him. Well, read with me in verse 28, because Jephthah is a man of God's word and he just got done preaching to the king of the Ammonites. And here's his response. Look at verse 28. It says, however... The king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words with Jephthah sent him. Look at verse 29. Oh, I love this contrast. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and he passed through Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he advanced toward the people of Ammon. Stop right there. Eyes up here. I want to spend a little bit of time in these two contrasting verses. The king of Ammon, no, not listening. And then there's Jephthah, the leader of Israel, who was a man of God's word, loved God's word, and you know what God gave him? The anointing of the Holy Spirit, the advancement of the mission. Because when you simply believe God and say, yes, I believe it, here I am, now do with me what you want. God is looking for men and women. Second Chronicles 16, nine says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth that he might find those whose hearts are loyal towards him that he might show himself strong on their behalf. How simple is that? He's literally just looking for men and women who say, I believe you. I got nothing else to offer except my belief. He's like, that's enough. That's enough. Because it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, that it's impossible to please God apart from faith because those who have faith must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. How, how simple is that? You want to please God? You want to be used by God? You got to believe he is. You just got to be a believer. You got to believe that Jesus is real. My shirt doesn't say Jesus is real, but sometimes it does. You got to just believe that Jesus is real, you know? And then you got to do the next right thing. My shirt does say that, DTNRT. Do the next right thing. Diligently seek after him. This, I believe, is what Jephthah's committed his whole life to doing. Jephthah! Most of you have never even heard of Jephthah until we got through the book of Judges into chapter 11. Jephthah! How many guys named your first eldest son Jephthah? Okay. 
How about your dog, Jephthah? You know, horses, your car. Nobody's using the name Jephthah. Jephthah's the eighth judge of Israel. We saw this, that Othniel was the first judge. He was the son-in-law of Caleb, and he was a fighter. And then after him came Shamgar, and then Ehud, and Deborah, and Gideon, and Tola, and Jair. And now the eighth one is Jephthah. It's a 400-year period in the nation of Israel where God raised up judges, not judges with black robes and hammers made of wood, those kinds of judges, but these were warriors and leaders. Remember Abimelech? He's kind of included in there, but he was a knucklehead, so I don't name him in my list of judges. He was just kind of a faker, and this is the list that has been leading the children of Israel. Now, remember we studied this last week. It was a two-parter. This is part two of Jephthah's story. Jephthah didn't have a great start. In verse one, it says that he was a mighty man of valor, but his mom was a harlot. His mom was a shady lady. His brothers were not too honorable either. He came from a broken home, a past that would be sordid and embarrassed to talk about. Now I say that because some of you have a similar story. Your past isn't the best, the way you were raised in your family heritage. It wasn't the best thing for you. And you might accidentally then process that and say, well, there's no hope for me to be used because I was dropped on my head as a kid. I didn't get raised right. I was a latchkey kid, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe that's not your story, but maybe you know somebody who that is their story. And they don't see themselves as being used by God powerfully in any way because they didn't have a mom or they didn't have a dad. God loves to take us right where we're at whether you were raised with great privileges and great care, praise God for that. There's nothing shameful about that. Amazing. Or whether you had to raise yourself or your older siblings had to raise you. We see that Jephthah had a past. It was from a broken family. He suffered judgment and rejection from his brothers and others. And we also see that God had a call on his life. And wouldn't you think that if there's a call on your life, it's just going to be easy, peasy, lemon squeezy. It's going to be no big deal. Let's go. But it was anything but easy for him anything but easy for Joseph, anything easy but for Moses, you would think that if there's a call on your life, it should be easier. How many of you guys get surprised when it's tough for you? Anybody get surprised? Man, sometimes it's like hard for me to do the things I'm trying to do. And I'm like, what the heck? Lord, don't you know? I'm here. I'm drawing. Should it it be this hard? And the Lord, like a good trainer at a gym, says, absolutely, it should be this hard. We actually have some more weights over here. Let's put those on too. You're like, no. How many of you guys ever been to the gym before? Nobody? That's okay. Anyways, it's a cool spot. You go there, your trainer makes you work out. It's hard, man. Because your trainer hates you? Nope. Exact opposite. Your trainer loves you, wants you to grow, wants you to get stronger. And so too in your life, man, if it's been a difficult past or things aren't easy for you and you expect it to be a little easier, don't be surprised. God knows exactly what he's doing. Check this out. Did you know that even though all of these things were Jephthah's to deal with, he still was a good leader. He was diplomatic. He was well-versed. He was a person of the word of God. And I just want to put this encouragement on you. No matter what your past is like, no matter what you think your future is like, be a man or woman of God's word. Be a lover of God's word and let God's word love you. Don't just be a theological student. Do that. Memorize it. Study it. Hide it in your heart. But love God's word. Love God's word, just like you can love other things in this world and you make time for organ duck football or fishing or sewing or other things that you love. That's okay. You make time and sacrifices for golf being and adventures and skiing. Make sure that you love God's word so much where nothing gets in the way. You're going to get up early and find a quiet place. And when you study to show yourself approved, a workman, 
rightly dividing the word of God, needing not be ashamed. When you do that, when you commit, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. September, I'm going to grab the reading program. I'm getting in God's word. I promise you, you're going to see in, as we saw in this passage of scripture, exactly the same thing happened to you as did in verse 29. Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you. Things are going to be different for you. God's going to anoint you slowly but surely. There'll be miracles in your life and there'll be opportunities for you to lead others in the things of God. Now, I want to make sure you're hearing this because this is really just a Bible study just for me. I look at Jephthah's life here. I'm like, whoa, there's some cool things in here. By the way, if you're a Bible teacher, you would never accidentally or even on purpose choose Judges 11 to teach through. You would never teach through this portion of scripture. You would never study it because of the craziness involved. The only reason we're going through this, the only reason anybody would is because we're through the Bible teaching church. But I believe that all of God's word is inspired and is profitable and God wants to minister to us today in so many ways. Let me just say one more thing that I've already said. I'll say it a little differently. You're not going to become the man or woman, the mom or dad, the husband or wife that God wants you to be without having gone through some difficult times in your life. You just won't become the person God wants you to be without some unfortunate situations and circumstances happening to you. If you're like me, I avoid all unfortunate circumstances and situations as best I can. You know what I'm saying? It's like heavy traffic in Newport during the summer. I'm a back roads guy. I know where the back roads are. I'm not getting involved in that. And oftentimes we look for the back roads in our life. I don't want to deal with that person or deal with this. And yet here's the deal. It's those very trials and difficulties, the disappointments done to you from others. The disappointments done by you in your mistakes. It is those battles that you've gone through and the tests you're currently struggling under. Those are the exact textbooks that God is using to purify you and prepare you. Two things. You're being prepared for what's next. What is next for you? You, you probably don't know. You might have an idea, but you don't know anything. Only God does. And God's preparing you. But he's also purifying you. He's also working stuff out of you every single day, stuff that you didn't even know was there. Your spouse knows it's there, but you're not there. You know what I'm saying? You don't know what's there. And God's like, I'm going to put you in this little box that's going to heat you up. Why would you do that? Oh, now let me ask you a question. How many of you guys like battles and tests and trials and struggles? Raise your hand. Anybody out there? How many crazy people? <laughs> he goes, I'm not raising my hand ever at this church. You know what I'm saying? Listen. Even though nobody raised their hands, you should settle into them because it's exactly what the Lord is using. This helps me right now because I, I, I feel personally when I look at my age, I'm 45 years old and I feel I've got a couple good decades left, at least two good decades. That's 20 years of good purifying and good preparation. I feel that the Lord's gonna, gonna do a couple good things in the next 20 years here in Newport, up on the hill and on the Oregon coast and in Oregon and in America. Amen. Anybody with me? Anybody have hope for that? I have hope for that. I have hope for that, and I believe that God is going to do those things, but I also simultaneously, even though I believe that with all my heart, I simultaneously, I know I'm not ready. I know I'm not right where I need to be. I don't really know what's going to happen. I don't know if I have what it takes to go the next 20 years and to do well, but I know God wants to, and the Lord says, okay, because of that, do the next right thing, one step at a time. Don't be surprised at the frustrations and trials. Don't try and escape them or minimize them or reduce them. Instead, like a textbook. You ever read a textbook really fast and learned nothing? You ever done this before? It's called high school. We all did it. You know, you're like, I'm, not, I'm just, I'm not here for, anyways, maybe that's my experience. But you read a book, you don't learn nothing. Don't do that in your spiritual tests right now. What if you throttled down, slowed down, paused? Lord, what are you showing me? What's really going on? 
Is it, are we just trying to get to the end of the matter? Because I know I am. I'm just trying to get to the end of the matter. And the Lord says, that's boring. If we just were trying to get to the end of the matter in your life, I'd snap my fingers and the land would be developed and the house would be built and your marriage would be fixed and all these things would just be given to you. That's what I want. And the Lord says, no, slow down. Let the Lord build character, deep character in you. Let the Lord, you don't know what the Lord's going to do. Jephthah was pushed out. He was a bad guy leading bad guys. He was a midnight marauder living in the land of Tob. Remember that? And all of a sudden, after 18 years, they came and said, hey, we need help from me. You guys are asking me for help now? And somehow he had grown in his leadership capacity, his military awareness. Not just that, but his sensitivity to the Lord. He was a man of God. We're going to see from Jephthah. Did you know that in the Hebrews chapter 11, Hall of Faith, the Hall of Faith, which mentions men and women throughout history who had such faith that they were inaugurated into the Hall of Faith. We have Hall of Fames here in you know, America, Hall of Fames for baseball and sports and whatever. The Hall of Faith is men and women who had so much faith God used. Did you know there's only 16 people in the Hall of Faith? There's dozens and dozens and hundreds of people in the Old Testament who are admirable in my eyes. 16 of them make the Hall of Faith. Read it later today, Hebrews chapter 11. And of the 16... Jephthah makes the list. Chapter 11, book of Judges. Jephthah, who lived in Tob with a bunch of bad guys and had a rough start. And yet when he was called upon, double-clicked, his phone rang, just like the Apostle Paul, 13 years living in Damascus. Barnabas went and got him. We'll learn these stories in three days. And when Paul got Barnabas and Barnabas got Paul, I should say, Paul was ready. He'd been sitting and soaking in God's word. Did you know you're supposed to sit and soak in God's word in order to serve? Don't sit, soak, and sour. That'll, that's a huge mistake. Sit, soak, and serve. That's what we're doing here this morning. As we soak ourselves in God's word and prepare. Man, it's such a battle. Because sometimes we just think it's over, don't you? Don't you just think it's over sometimes? Nothing left to do. It's all washed up. They're wrong. I'm wrong. We're all wrong. Don't ever count the Lord out. Because if you got a pulse, you have a, a purpose. You got a purpose. God's going to use you. God's going to do something powerful in your life. And here's what it says in verse 28. Again, let's just kind of jump in. That was just a big warm-up talk. Hopefully you guys are fired up for Jephthah now. Look at, I'm fired up. That's kind of all that matters. But look at verse 28. However, the king of the people of Ammon didn't heed the words with Jephthah sent him. We already read that, but this is his response to the pep talk Jephthah gave him. And this guy, the king of Ammon, was like, oh, I don't want anything to do with that. And yet, Jephthah was a man of God who understood God's word. He understood two things. He understood the word of God and the history of God's people. And I just need to say that for whoever's listening at this point. Not everyone in here has an understanding of the history of God's people. You maybe are just getting new to Christianity or new to the scriptures, and I understand that. And you're getting new to God's word. That's awesome. Don't stop. Keep reading God's word and get to know the history of the church in the first century all the way to the 21st century. And then God's history of the children of Israel and their deliverance from Egypt and their inception from Abraham and all of these people of faith that will make us the men and women of faith today. Jephthah, the least likely character and hero of the story. He knew all that stuff. Why do you think in verse 29, it says, then the spirit of the Lord came upon him? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And God wants to bless his men and women who love and who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's not that hard. It's actually super simple. And yet in my life, it actually isn't that easy. It's kind of difficult because there's so many distractions, so many other things to do. How many guys are busy? Raise your hand. How many guys are so busy? You didn't even hear, hear me ask the question. You're so busy. You know, it's just so busy and we're so busy and careful. 
man, do whatever you need to do in your life to adjust, to make more time for God and his word and his spirit, please do so. Because if Satan can't make you bad, let's say he's not going to make you a drug dealer or some, you know, some, something weird, you're not going to be bad, he will, though, succeed in making you busy. It's so easy. And you might even be better than you were when you were bad, but you're still too busy for the Lord. And the Lord says, hey, either way, you're not connecting with me. Either way, I miss you. Jephthah here, I believe, was connected. He was not only not bad, but he was connected to the Lord. Let's just go ahead and study this out, and I need you guys to see this, because it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and then he passed through and he advanced. This is exactly what happens when you're filled with the Spirit of God. This is a gift from God to his kids to do the things of God for his kingdom. I'm going to say it this way. You can't negotiate with having or not having the spirit of God. You need him in your life. You need him in your singleness, in your marriage, in your joys, in your trials, in your successes, in your defeats. You need the spirit of God. It's not optional. It's required. Can I get an amen from somebody? Jesus said it this way. And we're going to be studying this tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. in the classroom. Jesus looked at the disciples and said, go into Jerusalem and you're going to receive power and the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the way to South Beach. At least that's what I have written in my march. That's what Jesus said. And they looked at him like he was crazy. And 10 days later, the Holy Spirit came upon them and made them new. Guys, I think there are ditches on either side of this idea of the Holy Spirit as I teach you guys often, there's the road of biblical truth. And you got to stay on that road. There's the ditch of excess and the ditch of neglect. Some people say, I don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. Sounds scary and crazy and charismatic and charismania. And people swinging from the chandeliers with chicken feathers on, you know, and barking and clucking. And I ain't having any part of that. And you're in the ditch of neglect. I don't even know if there is a Holy Spirit. Some of the believers said in the book of Acts chapter 16, we didn't even know there was one. Don't be that person. Don't neglect the Holy Spirit. Then, then there's the other ditch of, of excess where everything is spiritual and everything is overemphasized and we're kind of going too far and too hard in the paint and we have no knowledge of what God is really saying or doing, but it's all emotional. Careful of that group as well. Don't go there either. But instead, have a biblical approach. See, the Holy Spirit is with everybody. Did you know that? Three relationships I'll quickly teach you. The Holy Spirit, he's with every single person in the world, right alongside of them every ethnicity, every continent, every person, the Holy Spirit, he's, he's everywhere. And he's ministering to people, wooing them to himself with creation and with his spirit, and with his word and with his body, wooing people to be saved. And when your heart is softened to the Lord and you become a believer and you're born again, regenerated, like Jesus said in John chapter three, you gotta be born again. And when you're born again, the Holy Spirit goes from with you to in you. And you're born again. And now you're the temple of God and the Holy Spirit lives in you. Whoa. And he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You'll always be different, always be saved. He now lives in you. He's with everybody, but he's in believers. He's in born again Christians who are made new. All the old has been passed away and now we're new creatures. But the third relationship, like we're seeing in verse 29, where the Holy Spirit comes upon him. The Holy Spirit moves from with to in, hopefully that's your story, to in certain times when you need the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes upon you like dynamite. That's the actual word in Acts chapter one, dunamis. 
The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you to resist sin and temptation, to speak words of truth and prophecy, to do acts of service, to perform miracles, to walk in the light, to abstain, to be a Christian. Sometimes it's harder, more important, more magnanimous in your Christian journey than others. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in a special way. Again, the word is dynamite. If I had some dynamite up on stage right now, it might be a distraction for some. You're like, what's the dynamite doing up there? You know, but it wouldn't be dangerous. I could kick it around. I could throw it at you. You know, I could shake it up. Dynamite's not dangerous at all until it's lit. And once it's lit, once flames are applied to it, oh man, we all got to get out of the building because demo day is here. You know what I'm saying? And the Holy Spirit, he's with you. And sometimes you need power. I just want to make this so simple. South Beach Church, make sure that every single day, throughout the day, you're asking yourself, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? It's just, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? I don't feel like I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, my Father will give it to you every single time. Whoa. He also said, you have not because you, you asked not. You didn't ask for it. It's so simple. And every single day, Day, man, I find myself up against the wall needing some more power just to be Luke Frechette, just to do the next right thing, just to abstain from doing the next wrong thing, amen? And I need power. And the Holy Spirit, it's not optional, it's a necessity. And I think that there is a proclivity to live in one ditch or the other. Let's stay on the road. Wouldn't it be awesome if we just normalized being spirit-filled instead of getting all charismatic and crazy and, you know, kind of lopsided? We just, hey, man, just be filled. Are you filled? Let's get filled real quick. Just lay, you can even lay hands on yourself, you know, pray for yourself. I do that from time to time. Lord, fill me for what's going on and walk in the spirit. Well, I could keep talking about that, but we got to hustle because we're going to finish part chapter two. This has to happen. It says, verse 29, we've only gotten through one verse today. That's okay. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah as he passed through Gilead and Manasseh. And he passed through Mizpah, Gilead, and from Mizpah, Gilead, he advanced. This is what you should expect when you're growing and gaining in the things of God. Okay, everyone put your helmets on. Buckle up. Verse 30. This is where it gets weird. And Jephthah, he made a vow to the Lord. And he said, if you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, well, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, I will surely, it will surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. And so Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them. Listen, and the Lord delivered them into his hands and he defeated them from Aurora as far as Minneth, 20 cities, and to Abel Karim with a great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. Stop right there, eyes up here. What in the world? Jephthah, a warrior of God, filled with the Spirit of God, is advancing from one place to the next. Manasseh in Gilead, he's got his army and all of a sudden... For some reason, Jephthah makes a vow. He says something crazy. And you leaders lean into this. All of a sudden, he pauses. Hey, Lord, if you give us the victory, then I'm going to give you back something just as outrageous. And I wonder if a smile popped across his face because he's crazy. Lord, I'll do something crazy if you do something crazy. Hey, Lord, we really need the victory. And just so if you do it for us, I'm going to flex just as hard for you. I'm going to be crazy right now. Whatever comes out of the door of my house when I get home, if you give us the victory, no matter what it is, I'll give it back to you. I'll burn it as an offering. I don't even care. Now, this is a difficult portion of scripture to teach because I don't really know what's going on in Jephthah's heart. I don't know what he's struggling with at this time. I don't know if he's dealing with what I'm going to call, what the Bible calls the fear of man. 
because the fear of man is a biblical trap that we fall into from time to time as men and women, which is when we start to think more of ourselves. We start to be concerned what others are thinking of ourselves. And we begin to be consumed with how we play out in this particular puzzle. And here's Jeff, he's like, wait a minute. I want the Lord to make sure he knows I'm serious about this. I want everyone else to know I'm serious about this. Jephthah, what in the world are you talking about? And he begins to make a rash vow, a promise to the Lord. Now, again, there's so many hairs to split here and find balances to walk, and I won't be able to do it all. May the Holy Spirit give you application and conviction. Because isn't it somehow honorable and notable? Lord, man, if you give me the raise, I promise I'll go to church every single Sunday for the next, you know, thousand years, you know. And Lord, if you heal my marriage, Lord, if you rescue my daughter, Lord, if you do these things, and wouldn't you give anything and everything to participate and to co-op with the success of the Lord in your life? Doesn't that kind of just make a little bit of sense? And yet what it does is it puts us, I believe, too much into the equation. Where when we get to the end of the victory, did you see that? They got the victory. Isn't that crazy? He made this crazy promise, walks in victory. Why? Because where God guides, God provides. You need to remember this right now. I'm telling myself that every single day up on the hill when questions are asked to me and unknowns are revealed and big complexities and problems and I don't know what's going to happen. And the Lord says, Luke, what are you going to do? You're going to get crazy. You're going to make some promises. You're going to put yourself in there. I said, no, it's, no, I can't do any of that. It's your plan, Lord. I'll show up. I'll do the next right thing. But I can't promise you, Lord, that if you succeed in this, I'll do something great because that puts way too much emphasis on myself, way too much emphasis. Listen, I've been pondering these two thoughts in ministry, especially what we're doing here at South Beach Church. There is either what we're gonna call a work of man in our lives where we're doing things. I worked it out, I figured it out, I saved my marriage, I got clean, I did this, it was a work of man, or, 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 it's a work of the Lord. It is one or the other. And you, and, and on a micro levels, the smallest of things, maybe you just need to get your finances in order or get your mind right or, or get in shape or heal a relationship. It's either the Lord or it's not. It's either a work of the Lord or it's a work of your flesh. And I believe the Lord wants to do works in our life but he wants to get the glory and he doesn't want us to pigeon ourselves in such a way where he said, well, yeah, of course the Lord provided, but man, I sure did a lot of crazy stuff too. And I'm not sure if that's exactly what's going on in Jephthah's heart, but I do know that this rash vow is gonna come back to bite him. It's gonna come back to haunt him. It's gonna come back to crush him. Listen, all the while, and this is where I wanna just said all the while, God was gonna do great things for him. Do you know the character of God for you? Do you know the character of God? How many of you think that sometimes the Lord is looking at you, just waiting for you to blow it? He's like, oh, I saw, I, I knew it, I'm out of here. You know, and the Lord just leaves and you gotta like continue to leverage yourself and do crazy things to keep him like involved in the relationship. That's the fear of man. It's elevation of self. It's pride. It's all these silly things that I believe the Lord wants to burn out of each and every one of us. But if you know the character of God that he's for you and he's not against you, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. There is nothing that shall separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He's gonna finish the work that he began. He's gonna redeem all things together for good. He's gonna conform you into his image. These are all the promises of God. And they have nothing to do with you. They have everything to do with him. Jephthah decides, I'm gonna make a promise. I'm gonna make a promise. And he makes this crazy outlandish promise, but here's the deal. It has to be a work of the Lord. It can't be a work of our flesh. He gets the victory. Look at verse 34. And when Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter, 
coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing. She was his only child, and beside her there was neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. Stop right there, eyes up here. Can you just catch the scene? Jephthah now coming back from battle. Thousands and thousands have been slaughtered. Word has been given back to his hometown. His daughter knows your dad won. Your dad won. She's so fired up. His only daughter. She's so excited. She goes on TikTok. She learns the latest dance. She gets her timbrels out. She figures out this dance for him. That's what it says. As soon as she came in, she had this dance for her dad. And she's singing and clapping. And her dad comes and sees her come out the door. And when he sees her come out the door, he's devastated. Because remember this promise. Whatever comes out the door. I will offer up to you as a burnt sacrifice. And all of a sudden, this is, by the way, this is a story you're never going to learn in Sunday school. This is not a Sunday school story. This is not going to find this on the coloring pages of your Old Testament Bible coloring book. You know, this is not, not in there. And he rips his shirt and beats his breast and laments as his daughter is there. Notice, though, I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth because I've built Jephthah up. He's a man of God. He's a man of integrity. He's filled with all these spirits walking. But he also, he makes some mistakes. And can I just put this word of warning out to everyone who's spirit-filled here this morning, everyone who's a believer, mistakes can still be made even though you're spirit-filled. Tragic mistakes. Do not be deceived. Do not think like Jephthah that you can say or do whatever you want to do and it won't have serious consequences. This is a severe warning to men and women who are saved by grace going to heaven we got our heaven, we got, my, I got my rapture socks on, I'm ready to go at any time, you know. But mistakes can be made. Things can get real bad real quick. And I believe this is a warning to all of us to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord that he might lift us up in due season. And here we have Jephthah, a man of integrity. I want to point out, though, some positive things about Jephthah. Now, when he sees his daughter, did you notice the first thing out of his mouth? in addition to the lamenting and the regret, it was a confession. I made a commitment to the Lord. I can't go back. That's the first thing he says. How many of you guys in this situation would immediately say, I didn't mean it. How many guys would immediately say, I'll take it back, you know, I'm sorry, I'm an idiot. You know, how many guys would immediately look for the wiggle room, the loophole, like all, I think all of us would be like, oh, I don't know, you know that. And this guy, he's so full of integrity, he's like, oh, Oh, I vowed. I did this. There's no going back. He's a man of integrity. And we're going to talk about that at the end of the sermon today, about this idea of being a man of commitment, being a woman of integrity. Jesus said, don't make vows or promises. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just do that, okay? Just, just be, be honorable. And if you are honorable, I believe there is honor in that. Well, he's showing his honor at this point. He's in a big problem. Notice not only is he a man of integrity, look at his daughter. Look at verse 36. And so she said to him, my father, if you have given your word to the Lord, then do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Hammon. What? Do you not want to meet this gal? Like father, like daughter, like daughter, like father. He comes home valiant, obedient, and victorious, and a man of integrity. He knows he's going to keep his word. And his daughter, who's been raised by him, says, yeah, that's how we're raised, dad. We're people of our word. You said, you said what to God? Okay. Let's do it. 
you got to keep your word. Why? Because God kept his word to you. He avenged you from your enemies. God did his part. Let's do our part, dad. And part of me is just like, what? I kind of want to be there, you know, watching the emotions as this interaction is experienced together. And then verse 37, she said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. And so he said, go, and he sent her away for two months. And she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. The idea there is that she will never be able to get married and have kids and raise a family. Her life has been stopped short because of his rash, zealous, without knowledge, man-centered, fear of man, vow. And so what she says is, Dad, can I just take two months to go process with my best friends in the mountains? And we'll go process this new life of mine that is not going to have kids or a future before this thing goes down. Look at verse 30. So he said, go. And she went away. Look at verse 39. I'm at 38. 39. And it was so at the end of two months that she returned to her father and he carried out his vow with her, which he had vowed. She knew no man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. Wow. This is one of those stories. This is one of those times, much like when you're on a flight to somewhere real fun and the captain says, buckle up, turbulence is coming. You ever been on one of those flights before? And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, what is going on here, you know? And there are commentators on either side of the fence. And I'm going to go ahead and teach this to you the best way I can. Because a lot of people wonder, did he actually do it? Did he actually burn his daughter as a sacrifice to the Lord? After two months of bewailing the fact that she wouldn't grow up normal and she wouldn't be able to do these things, is that really what happened? And there are lots of people who say, that's what it says, that's what it says, that's what it says. There are other people, though, for very good reasons, don't like that ending of the story. And they want to see it a different way. I'm one of those people, I don't like the ending of that story. I want to see it a different way. Let me give you five reasons why it could have gone a different way. Jump with me to verse 31. Verse 31 says, then, this is his rash vow, then it will be whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and, I've got that circled, I will offer it up as a burnt offering. That word and in the original Hebrew can be and is translated and used as two separate words in two different applications. It's the two words and or the word or, and it can be used interchangeably. Some translations read, when I come back victoriously, I will, I'll just read it to you, and we'll interject the word or as opposed to and. It says, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, it shall surely be the Lord's, or I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Stop right there as up here. Some people think that's what he said. Whatever comes out, what did he think was going to come out the house? He's got no sons. He's got no other daughter. What did he think was going to come out? A camel or something? A horse? Livestock would be very common in and out of houses in those days. But what did he think he was really boasting? And like, I'm going to give the Lord a chicken, you know? What did he think? And it was the daughter, his only daughter. And maybe, uh, just so you know, he never, based on Jewish livelihood and tradition, would have 
attempted to offer the Lord a human sacrifice that was never, it's even in the, the, the masculine sense of the Hebrew. He was not talking human sacrifice. It's forbidden, by the way, in the Torah to offer humans as sacrifices, especially your own children. This is why I believe he didn't actually do this. Because can you imagine if you vowed to do something that was in, ended up being sinful, but you justified the sin because it was a vow? then where would all of morality go in, in life? You say, well, it's just a vow. I vowed I was going to burn my neighbor's house down if he was loud again. I can't help it. You know, I can't help it. It's loud again. It's kind of funny. Burn your neighbor's It's a vow. I had to do it. No, you don't have to do it if it's a crime or a sin. So I believe that the word should be or, and he didn't actually do this to his daughter. I also believe that it was not um, something that they should do, which would be human sacrifice. I also believe that the people around Jephthah wouldn't have allowed him to sacrifice his daughter in this way. And in verse 39 and verse 40, jump down there, just two more clues, and then we'll wrap up with some thoughts. It says that at the end of two months, she returned to her father, verse 39, and he carried out his vow with her, which he had vowed. But then it gives a little description. She knew no man. Well, now, I believe that that's added because the vow was not that she died after two months, but at the end of two months, she was given in a consecrated life to the Lord, dedicated to serving him in the temple services, dedicating to live a life of sobriety in that way of quietness, almost like a nun in our understanding of, of consecration and dedication. She knew no man. This would have been a devastation. Many women in those days, in their olden age, in their widowhood, would serve the Lord in that way. It was very rare for a young woman to say, I'm not going to know a man, not going to have a family. I'm giving myself over to the Lord wholly. This was not something she chose, but I believe something that she had to endure and something that she did. She knew no man and served the Lord. Also in verse 40, last clue, fifth clue, is that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. That word lament means to speak to or speak over. And some commentators say that every year they would go hang out with her and say, hey, miss you. Hopefully you're doing good. Sorry your dad's an idiot. But anyways, you know, we, you know we're, we're doing good. Here's a picture of my kids. And they would go lament with her. So here's my point. And here's where I want there to be application for our own lives. Because I believe Jephthah made a huge mistake. But do you remember the fact that Jephthah also makes it into the hall of faith? It doesn't say why Jephthah makes it into the Hall of Faith, for what exact work that he did do. But it's listed, and I want to read it to you, Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 30. It says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down, after they encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab didn't perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edges of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned flight to armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings, scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two, tempted, slain with the sword, wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, listen, did not receive the promise. Stop right there, eyes up here. Whoa. 
the men and women of faith overcame many obstacles in their lives, Jephthah being one of them. Jephthah being one of them, a man of faith who trusted God. He didn't do everything right. He had some mistakes, just like the people sitting next to you, just like the man standing up on stage, but he did have faith enough so that he made the hall of faith. I don't know if it's because of his leadership over the Ammonites, listen, or if it's because God values a man of integrity that he made the hall of faith. I would believe it's both, but let me camp on the latter. I believe it's because God loves men and women who commit, who commit to doing the next right thing. Maybe imperfectly and maybe not always the best, but they know what they know to do and they do what they know to do. And let me just put this on all of us here at South Beach Church because I believe God wants us to be men and women of commitment because we live in a day and age of non-commitment, do we not? There is no such thing as you can break contracts, you can leave early, you can, you can bail on relationships, you can get as many divorces as you want, and you can go bankrupt on your finances, and you can go delinquent on your college loans. I'm not going to pay that. I'm not going to show up there. You can pretty much give up on anything now, and there's a way to protect yourself and just move on and, and go about your way. But I do not believe that's the heart of God's character. Because if you're that way with some of the things that are maybe less important to you or less important to God, it will trickle over to the things that are the most important to you and the most important to God. We're a grace-filled church. We're saved by grace, not of works. But let me just talk about works a little bit. I believe God wants you and I to take this for a spin, being men and women of integrity, men and women of commitment. Because if you commit to something, if you change your daily disciplines, if you change your daily trajectory, I want to be a better man or a better woman. I'm going to commit. I'll tell you three things that commitment will do for you moving forward that will change your life. Write these things down. We don't have much time. Number one, commitment will cure complacency in your life. If you are committed to the things of God, showing up early, reading the Bible, studying, praying, worshiping, serving, if you're committed to that, the complacency that's naturally going to flow into your life spiritually will be eradicated and done away with. Because naturally, we're just complacent people. We get to a point in our lives where we just take the easy route to the next thing. But if you're committed to Bible study and committed to reading, just like when you join a gym. Anybody ever join a gym but don't go? Raise your hand if you're a gym member but you don't go. It's not, it's not hard. That's not hard. I work out at CrossFit. And so the way it works out at CrossFit is not only do you have to be a member and have to pay, but you have to commit to certain classes. You put your name out there. Everyone sees you. You're committed. They hold you accountable. People look forward to seeing you. And you commit to it. Even more than that, people who are highly successful in their physical fitness are those who commit a month in advance and they know their schedule. I'm just going to go. This is what I do. Even when I don't want to go. Now, before I go even further, let me just summarize Psalm 15 for you so you know where I'm getting this from. In the book of Psalms, the psalmist, read, read, this is your homework for the day, Psalm 15. We don't have time to open it up. Psalm 15. The psalmist says this, who, who can abide in your holy hill, O Lord? Who, who's going to go up to your mountain? Who gets to come, Who gets to be with you? And then there's a list of things, attributes of the men and women who get to do this, one of which is what I'm talking about here today. It's the one that says, the one who keeps his word even to his own hurt. Did you say you're going to be there at 5 a.m.? Yeah, but I, I didn't get much sleep. Well, that's going to be tough for you. I, I said I would pay this off at a certain time, and, and I'm just I'm kind of struggling to do that. I kind of you know I, I have a really cool car though, but I don't but I can't pay this bill. Okay, well you're going to have to change your car. You're going to have to do the next right thing. You're going to have to be a man or woman of integrity and commitment. 
I'm getting this out of Psalm 15. You're going to have to read it later. We don't have time. But the other two things that you need to write down, if you want to grow in this next season and be a man or woman that makes the hall of faith, commitment cures complacency. Secondly, commitment in the things that matter most accrues currency. Did you know that you only get one life to live? You figure this out? And only things done for Christ will last. Everything else is going to be burned up. A complete waste of time, a complete waste of a life, waste of skin, waste of breath, waste of effort. But the Holy Spirit has said through the word, the things you've done by faith for God and for others, those are going to remain forever. There is wood, hay, and stubble in your life that's going to burn away. It's like a huge old bonfire. Then there are precious stones and jewels of the things you did by faith, committedly and on purposely. They're going to last forever and ever and ever. We don't talk about that very often here at South Beach Church, this idea of rewards, but it is highly biblical. Complacency is going to cure, or should I say, uh, commitment is going to cure your complacency and commitment is going to accrue currency. And I'm going to have the worship team come up and they're going to lead us in a song. Here's the last thing. I think this is important. Did you know that if you're a committed believer, a man or woman of your word, that it's going to communicate urgency to the rest of the world? Last night I was kind of just writing this out. That just popped out of nowhere. I was like, what does that mean? When you live on purpose, the world around you sees that there's something of greater value than your own life. But when you choose to go to church occasionally, you choose to follow God sometimes, and you choose to be a believer who serves and loves and prays from time to time, you know what that communicates to the outside world? That it's optional. There's no urgency. You don't have to be a Christian. I'm glad you're a Christian. Has anybody ever said that to you? I'm glad you found your faith. That's real cool for you that you found your faith. Eh, wrong answer. Everybody needs to be saved. It's not just something I've done. It's not like, you know, fitness or not fitness. This is heaven and hell, life and death. And when you and I as Christians say, I want my life to count, God says, then live it away that other people will see that Christianity, that Christ, that the church is the greatest thing that has ever happened and the only thing that will forgive your sins now and take you into eternity forever in complacency needs to be replaced by commitment. I believe, and I believe this is exactly what we see from Jephthah. Jephthah. I don't believe he actually burned his daughter. I personally, you can believe whatever you want. I think that his daughter, though, she also did the next right thing. She gave her life as a sacrifice to be used by God for the rest of her days. Here's what we're going to do now. I'm going to ask you guys to stand up on your feet. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to do just a few things as we sing to him and respond. Did you know God loves you? You guys know that? You need to know that. If it were true, I wouldn't have showed up today. I wouldn't, I got that, you know, but I knew it. I knew he loved me. I knew he loved me and I don't deserve it. I don't deserve his love, but I desperately need it. And he extends it to me and extends it to you. He says, Luke, Luke, don't be like Jephthah in these weird things he did. But, but Luke, be like Jephthah in the things that he did right. Learn. Step in, receive my love once again. And if you're here this morning and you need to receive God's love, but not just God's love, but you need to, like Jephthah, receive the spirit of God in you for your marriage, for your singleness, for what's going on. You need the Lord right now. Don't try it without him. Don't even get deceived like Jephthah did. He's like, I'm gonna do this crazy thing, Lord. You watch me. I'm gonna, if, we, if you give me the victory, I'll do crazy stuff too. Don't do that. It's all the Lord. It's either a work of man or it's a work of the Lord. So with every head bowed and eyes closed right now, if you're here this morning and you would just respond by saying, yeah, I need a, a filling of the Holy Spirit. I need to know that he loves me. I need to know he's for me. I need to get my eyes off myself. 
I need to get my eyes off of my stuff. Maybe you're distracted and you're disinterested in the things of God and you don't want to waste it. Maybe you're gone complacent. Maybe if you were in Jephthah's shoes, you wouldn't have done anything right. You would have said, no, nah, that's too hard. I ain't doing that. And the Lord's given you an opportunity to live by faith right now, to be a man of integrity, a man of commitment. If you need the Lord to minister to you right now, would you just put your hand up? It's just that simple. I just want you to have that opportunity to respond. My hands are up to you, Jesus. Forgive me, Lord, of my laziness and my sin, Lord, of my self-elevation, Lord, of all these things that just I see in Jephthah, I see in myself. And yet, Lord, my hands are up to you. Would you anoint us to be men and women of commitment, men and women of integrity, as unto the Lord. I've made a promise to the Lord. I'm going to do it. And he makes the book. Lord, would you anoint us? And even as we sing this song, just cleanse us. And you can put your hands down. If you need extra touch, if you need to come to the altar right now, would you just do so right now? Respond to the Lord and let him fill you. Maybe you need that fresh filling of the Holy Spirit right now. Come down the aisles to the stage. Put your hands on the stage or just kind of come around and say, yeah, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit for what's going on in my life right now. Maybe you need restoration right now. You need your mind renewed or your heart renewed or your strength and restored to your feet so you can do the next right thing. You come down right now and respond to the Lord. Let's sing together as we trust the Lord.